are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve both. And now, let's listen in to this week's sermon. Turn to the book of Titus. We continue our study in Titus. We're in chapter 2, and we will be studying beginning in verse 11 and going through verse 15. Today is a one part of two part series on this particular section and we'll be discussing grace and the title of the lesson this morning is grace teaches our heart and we will study the next two weeks together on this subject of grace as we'll be talking about this particular passage. You know, chapter 2 is an essential chapter for understanding the necessity of spiritual growth. Christians who aren't growing have two issues. Here are the issues. One, they don't know how to grow. Or, number two, they don't know they should grow. And I think that's a big obstacle. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's why we're here. It brings us together, that unity of faith and that unity in the belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that He has saved us from our sin. But a living thing, and we're told we're to have a living faith, right? A living thing is always continuously growing. It doesn't... It doesn't stop. And what happens in our spiritual lives is we reach these plateaus. We will grow, we'll flatten out, we'll grow, we flatten out. And unfortunately, sometimes we get to a point where we're not really growing. We just stay at a certain place in our life. We allow other things to get in the way. And that's the way the enemy works. The enemy works on us continuously trying to try to keep us from growing if he can hinder our growth if he can slow down our love for God then he's accomplished something he wants to disrupt us he wants to discourage us he wants us to look for other things to bring about satisfaction to our life And we see that in our country. We've seen it the last several months. If people think politics will will solve the problems of this country, they're sort of mistaken. This is a Jesus problem. Jesus is not king of our lives in this country. But we who are the children of God need to make sure that we put Jesus first. And that we follow Jesus. And that's why the Bible urges us to grow. We need to grow. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Peter writes this. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You must grow in the grace of Jesus. And this growth is intentional. It can't be passive. So when we look at Titus chapter 2, 
And you look at verse 11, we see a very important statement that Paul writes here. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. That offers salvation to all people. To all people. Grace has appeared in the form of Jesus Christ. The incarnation of Jesus. He came to the earth. He came to the earth in form of a baby. Grew up to be a man. Lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. And He rose from the dead. And that belief that what Jesus did for us, that belief is what our faith is based on. But the Scripture says that grace appeared. And all of these things that we talked about, that He came to earth, that He lived a sinless life, He died on the cross, and He rose from dead, that's a description of grace. It's a description of Grace in the form of Jesus. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth, salvation came through Jesus. And Jesus enabled salvation to happen for all people. I've heard many times, and I've said it too over the years, that grace is God's unmerited favor. Have you not heard that? Let's take it a step further. Grace is God's favor through Christ for people who deserve His disfavor. We don't deserve anything. And that's a big lie of our society. Satan has told people, and we believe it, that we all deserve something. It drives our lives. We deserve to get a raise. We deserve to be treated differently. We deserve to be given stuff. We don't deserve anything but condemnation because we are sinful. We deserve a devil's hell is what we deserve. But God, but God in His great mercy and His great love said, I'm not going to I don't want you to be there in a devil's hell. I want you to be my people. I want you to be my chosen possession. That's who I want you to be. So grace is God's action. It's God's action toward us. It's not passive. It's aggressive. It is it's in what God has intended to happen. It's action. See, God's grace saves us. It gives us strength. It sustains us. It equips us for serving Him. It equips us for, for ministry. And just as you can do nothing to earn your salvation, you can do nothing to earn God's favor in your life. You can't earn His favor. You can't earn your salvation. But legalism tells us something completely opposite. That we must do something in order for God to favor us. We must have an action. All God says is believe. Just believe. So when we get to verse 12, 
of chapter 2, we see that this important statement that happens. You know, Paul just said in verse 11 that grace appeared to save all. Now in verse 12 he says, it teaches us. Grace teaches us. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. This is coming out of the NIV, and I love the way that it's phrased. It says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live upright godly lives in the present age. Grace teaches us. Have you ever thought about it in that way, that grace actually is teaching us in just not being an unmerited favor? It's something that God has given us and it is full of action. Grace just doesn't save us. Grace teaches us. The grace of God trains us. And that is the point we're making in this lesson. Here is the point. You're never going to grow as a Christian unless you're able to say no. You're never going to grow as a Christian if you don't allow grace to teach you. See, what does it teach us? What does grace teach us? It teaches us to say no to the world, no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, and to say yes to Jesus Christ. That's what it's teaching us. We can say no to temptation. We can reject temptation with the help of that's where the strength comes. And we can reject wickedness and ungodliness and say no to fleshly desires. Now verse 12, I want to read verse 12 again out of the New Century Version. It teaches us not to live against God nor to do the evil things the world wants us to do. Instead, that grace teaches us to live in the present age in a wise and right way and in a way that shows that we serve God. Ungodliness. Ungodliness is all around us. But we could be a part of ungodliness if we're not careful. Because what ungodliness is, is living your life independent of God. Living your life independent of God. Living for myself. Putting me first. Wickedness we, we understand. I think wickedness is something we can look at and say that's wickedness. It's evil. It's something that Satan is causing to happen. But ungodliness? Ungodliness is an attitude. It's a, ungodliness comes out of our heart. Because ungodliness is where we place ourselves above anything else. And it's easy to let that happen. When we place things, people, events ahead of God, we're practicing ungodliness. God tells us Grace teaches you to say no to those things. It say, teaches you to say no to self. 
It teaches you to say no to evil and to yes to God. See, we, we view open defiance as being a sinful act, which it is. But it's easy for us to do things selfishly and get in the habit of it. And that becomes practicing ungodliness. God's grace is not an indulgent grace that ignores our sin. His grace came to save us, not indulge us. Romans chapter 6. If you would turn your Bibles to chapter 6 of Romans. And Paul does, through the Holy Spirit, does such a good job explaining what grace, that indulgent grace is not what God has given us. Romans 6 verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? See, grace doesn't allow you to do whatever you want to do. You know, there was a practice in the, in the Middle Ages, in Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, in which people could pay indulgences. They paid money so they could sin. We, now, in today's world, we think we've gone from strict legalism, a lot of us, to the far extreme of grace and saying, as long as I believe in Jesus, I'm covered by His grace. Yes, you're covered by grace. But that grace is not indulgence to say, to lead you to a life of rebellion and that's okay with God. We don't understand grace. So if you think grace will cover the sin that you want to do, that you plan to do, that you strive to do, that you yearn to do, if all that sin is coming out of your heart, then you have the wrong idea about grace. Grace is based on love. On love. Not merit. So grace teaches us and grace trains us and grace doesn't enable sin. It makes us want to stay away from sin. That's what grace is intended to be. God, He's reached out to us and He has said, here is my love. Here is my love. Now look back in Romans 6. Verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power over our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. That's God's grace. We were freed. So it says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what's right for the glory of God. God is not an enabler to sin. Verse 14. 
Romans 6, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law, still you live under the freedom of God's grace. It's grace. That's His love. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Of course not. When you think about Jesus meaning the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. The conversation that takes place. Jesus asks her for a cup of water and the conversation begins and he, he acknowledges her sin and tells her what that sin was. And if she wants to know more, he says, I can give you the water of life. But he says, you can have forgiveness he gave her forgiveness, but what did he say next? Sin no more. Sin no more. He wasn't telling her to be perfect. He was telling her, take the, he was telling her, take the intent of sin out of your heart. Take that intent out of your heart. Grace is what God has given us that we don't deserve. We, he has given us salvation. He has given us His forgiveness. He has given us His strength. He has given us His power through the Holy Spirit. And yet, many people think, I'm going to be covered by grace. So I'm going to live the way I want to live. Another lie of the devil. I want to say something. I'm going to try to make it as clear as I can. There is nothing free. You say, well, God's love. No, it wasn't. Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price so that God could love us. God could accept us. There is nothing free. Jesus paid the price so that God could call His, his own possession. See, many Christians, for Christians, a lot of us can say no to things outside of ourselves. We don't have a problem with some things. I'm one of these people who's never drank alcohol. Never have. The first reason was because I was afraid of my dad. It was out of fear. He had, he had a brother who was an alcoholic, so no. And then later, as I became to know the Lord, I said, what's the point? What's the point? What are all the things it can lead to? So that's not, a, that's not a problem of mine. But my problem when I was a young man was a hair trigger temper. I couldn't say no to my selfishness. Okay? So we all have our, our issues we've had in life, right? But it's through the grace of God you can overcome those issues. It doesn't have to linger. It doesn't have to stay. God provides a way around and out of those problems. It's through Jesus Christ. 
You see, that's His grace. We can say no to things outside of ourselves, but can we say no to the inner problems we have, such as the temper, such as fear, such as lust, such as anxiety? Can we say no to those? Can we replace that, that fear, with Jesus? That's grace. Those things can be overcome because of grace. Those things don't have to rule our lives because of grace. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And it teaches us not to live against God. And the grace of God not only saves us, but the grace of God trains us. It teaches us how to live. And we all need to do a better job of that, of understanding grace. So how does grace teach my heart? How does grace train my heart to say no to ungodliness and evil? And how does grace teach my heart to say yes to godliness? Well, here's the answer. Grace provides the motivation to say no. The motivation. And grace provides the means and the power to say no. Because the power... The means and the power to say no is the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not something I can do by myself. I have to have God's help. That's where grace provides strength. Provides power. It's through the Holy Spirit. So grace provides motivation. Have you ever thought about it that way? That grace provides motivation. I want to read a quote from Tim Keller. And I've done this before. I, I like a lot of things that he writes. But here, here's one of his quotes here. Think for a moment about all the ways that you can say no to ungodly behavior. You can say no because it would look bad. Uh, you might be excluded from certain social church uh, circles in the church if you were not to say no. You can say no because God won't give me health, wealth, or happiness. And we think that we'll forfeit these selfish blessings that we want if we don't say no. Does that make sense? Others will say, I'll hate myself in the morning and lose my self-respect if I don't say no. Now, virtually all these incentives are self-centered impulses of the heart to comply with external rules, but they do little to change the heart. The motive behind them is not love of God. It is a way of using God to get beneficial things. Things such as self-esteem, prosperity, and social approval. To me, that made a lot of sense. How we view saying no to the world. Is it because we really don't think that what's going on out there is that bad? Are we afraid, well, if I don't, if I don't say no, then God's not going to bless me. That's a rather legalistic view of things. A selfish view, too. See, it's still not we still don't get it if we think like that. God is concerned about what motivates us. He cares about what motivates us. 
Not only does God care about us saying no to ungodliness, He cares about why we say no. In the Old Testament, we saw many examples of people would go to the temple and they would offer sacrifices because God commanded them to do it. But time after time, God would rebuke them because of their motivation. He would say, they have honored me with your mouths or your lips, but your heart is not right. Do we come to worship to honor God or to try to make sure that He didn't take away any of our blessings? Do we come to worship? We come to be together as His people because of His grace. That's the motivating factor. That's what should bring us here because we love Him and we want to honor Him. We want to give Him our all. That's what God wants to see, what comes out of our hearts. Jerry Bridges said this in the book, Growing Your Faith. Our motivation for commitment Discipline and obedience is important to God, perhaps even more than our performance. What's going on in our heart is what's important to God. Not the do list. What goes on in our heart. So he cares about what motivates us. David said this to his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 28, verse 9. That's 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve Him with your whole heart and willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek Him, you will find Him. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you. What advice? And it's there for our benefit that we seek God. If we seek God, He will find us. Motivation to say no to wickedness comes from our heart. Because we we love God. A heart that loves God. A heart that wants to honor God. A heart that wants to have a relationship with God. A heart that wants to see God as the most important aspect of life. A heart that doesn't want to do anything to cause disruption in that fellowship, in that relationship. Do you want to have a relationship with Jesus? It's all about relationship. A relationship with Jesus, it's got to consume us. We can't do it part-time. There is no relationship if it's done on a part-time basis. We all understand that. So how do you gain a heart that loves Jesus and trusts Him completely? How does that happen? You've got to understand God's grace. And you've got to see it for what it is. I'm a visual person. I, I I can see things. But think you're standing at the at the the cliff of the Grand Canyon. You're standing at the edge of this Grand Canyon. 
You got that picture in your mind? I know you, if you haven't been there, you've seen pictures. If you're standing there at the edge of this canyon and you're looking down, can you imagine if it were filled up? And what it would take to fill up that canyon? It's God's grace. That's God's grace for all of us. I've driven up mountains. And I've, I've been on a real crooked road. And I don't like heights. So I hug as close as I can to the left as I'm driving up. And I look, and I try not to look down because if I look down, I get distracted. God's grace is a mountain. And you've got to stay as close to the center of that mountain as you can as you go through life. And you start looking down, you get distracted. And you're going to lose sight of His grace. And we wind up falling. God's grace is bigger than the universe. And He's extended that and given that to us. It, when we get to the point, we can have all. And, and un, have the all and see the depth and the beauty of God's grace and all that He has done for me. Then my love for God's ignited. Then I have passion for God. But it all is stemmed off understanding His grace. Verse 13 and 14 of Titus 2. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. While we're waiting for the glory of Christ to return as He comes back to this world. It says, Who gave Himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own. He wants us to be pure. He wants us to be His people. And He did that by sending Jesus Christ. He wants us to be His possession. He wants us to be His very own. And eager to do what is good. Accepting His grace and saying no to the world. God wants us to be His. He loves us and He accepts us. And He accepts us as we are, but He doesn't leave us as we were. God accepts us from whatever walk of life we come from, however weak we are, whatever problems we got, He takes us and our problems. But He doesn't leave us there. There has to be a change. And rather by the same grace that He, you know, the same grace that saved us, He sets about to change everyone who experiences His grace. God accepts us, but He wants us to change. He wants us to become His possession, His people, a purified people. Not perfect, but people who look toward Him for everything. Their job, their family, their politics. Everything in life has got to revolve around Jesus Christ and the grace of God. If it doesn't, then God is not the master of your life. Then you don't understand the grace of God. He expects us to give all that we got. Every ounce of our being. 
God will change you if you surrender to Him. Surrender. You may have been a Christian for 50 years. You may have been a Christian for five years. It doesn't matter. There's still time and room to grow. And it's time we do that. God will change you when you completely trust Him. He will change you. Let's pray. I'm going to ask before we pray, other elders stand. And I'm going to ask if you want prayer so the elders can see, Justin can see that we can come to you and pray with you. But here is something that's got to happen. You've got to be ready to change if you want change to happen. You've got to surrender. Father God, my prayer, first for our congregation, for our church, that is here or at home watching, Father, that we're ready to make you the king of our life. And Father, that we be that we surrender and we can begin to understand how much you love us. And in doing that, we can understand your grace. Father, we pray for our country, that your people throughout all this country will do the same, Father. They will put aside their personal feelings and just turn to you and use you and your word to guide our steps and our thoughts in what we do. Thank you, Father, for Jesus who paid the price so that we can have your grace, your love for eternity. Thank you, Father. And I pray now, Father, anyone here this morning that is hurting, that just sees and wants to have the need come to you they'll have the courage father just open their heart to you and in jesus precious name amen thank you so much for listening to the freedom fellowship audio podcast we are located at 990 west henry de tonte boulevard in tonte town arkansas you can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching freedom fellowship nwa We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.